The best thing some parents can do is stop parenting. I figured I would just put it out there and then spend the next 30 minutes explaining myself. And so don't hang up on me, at least not for a couple of minutes. Give me a chance. The title of the podcast and the article, if you want to read the article, the best thing some parents can do is stop parenting. You cannot create unity from disunity. Kind begets kind, as our old King James Bible tells us. What goes in will come out. And if disunity is what is in your marriage, disunity is what will come out of your marriage. And that's what will go into your children. And that's why I say with this podcast, the best thing some parents can do is stop parenting. You could add to that title if you had enough space and start working on your marriage. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You are listening to Your Daily Drive, and I think some of you will want to talk about this, and that would be fantastic. Go on our website, get your free username and password, and let's talk. We have a team of folks that are ready to talk with you about parenting and whatever else that you want to chat about that pertains to life and godliness. It is what we do. Now, if you want to do a deep dive in parenting, then I want you to listen to this podcast. This is a foundational podcast. It's a common sense podcast. It's logical. It's the first place you want to begin. Some of the best parenting that you will ever do is to present to your children a marriage that loves God and loves each other. You are modeling the the two great commandments in Matthew 22, love God and others. And if that begins in your marriage, you are setting the stage very well to parent your children. But if your marriage is a mess, well, you're really, you're you're moving against the wind. You're making things really hard. And so I would encourage you to listen to this podcast as you are right now. And then I would encourage you to read this article, but I have a ton of information in this article. I have five other articles. And so you can read over 12,000 words if you get on here on our website and, and get into it. And I would really encourage you to do that. I have another article called The Danger of Pragmatic Parenting. Another one, A Practical Plan for Parenting Children. Another one, tips on parenting children from zero to adulthood. And then I have this one. My 13-year-old friend was divorced five times. It's about a girl that I counseled once upon a time who was a serial dater because her parents were so dysfunctional. She was looking for love in all the wrong places. You can read that article. And then another one, when education becomes deadly to a child's soul, a child who found her strength or found her acceptance in her strength because she was craving acceptance because her parents, in this case, her dad, was rejecting her. I also have two 10-minute videos, one on the important role of fathers, another one on parenting your children with structure and support. What I'm saying here is I have a lot of information for you. And then finally, I want you to get my book, Change Me, The Ultimate Life Change Handbook. If you are serious about parenting well and you believe in what we are teaching, 
that you like this ministry and God has used it to affect you and you, you, you find that you benefit from it, then I want you to use these resources. I want you to get them. Let them work for you. But you'll have to put some effort in. And so you can read six articles, no less. You can read an entire book, 300 pages. You can listen to a 30-minute podcast and watch two 10-minute videos, all found in this article here. The best thing some parents can do is stop parenting. Here's an excellent long-term homework assignment, and I would encourage you, you small group leaders, you have a, a couple in your group that needs help, just give them this one link to this article, and they'll have a ton of resources. If you are a discipler, biblical counselor, if you are helping people with parenting issues, then please share this with them. Again, the title of the article and podcast, The Best Thing Some Parents Can Do Is Stop Parenting. What we are as parents is what we are going to export to our children. If disunity primarily characterizes your marriage, the likelihood of your children being relationally dysfunctional is high. I am just speaking about statistics here. I'm not talking about the grace of God. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. I'm just talking about statistically speaking. Most of the people who come to us with significant problems in their marriage and parenting, many of them will tell you that they were not parented well themselves. Kind produces kind. And this truth of kind producing kind, it tempts me to say to some parents who are anxious about how their children are doing, to stop parenting and start working on their marriages. The most powerful, impressive, and effective gift that parents can give to their children is a warm, unified, happy marriage. Think about it this way. What if there was division in the Trinity? What if the Father, Son, and Spirit were angry with each other or did not want to be around each other? If that were true, we would not stand a chance of turning out okay. They made us in their image, and one of the most significant characteristics of the Trinity is their togetherness, their perichoretic relationship, their unity. We do not have to worry about whether the Godhead is going to stay together or if they're going to get into a yelling match. Have you ever worried that way about the Trinity? I suspect it has never crossed your mind. Or if it did, it was one of those, you know, how you have those fleeting thoughts that you immediately shrug off as impossible and you move on to the next thing. God's children do not fret over the stability or instability of the Godhead. And our children should not have to worry about the security, unity, togetherness of their parents. Parents should not put that kind of burden on them. When our children think about our marriages, they ought to immediately think about, how about this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 
and the four other manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit that you find in Galatians 5, 22 and 23? If our children are more aware of the hostility, unforgiveness, general disunity in the marriage, their hearts will be motivated to gravitate toward other things that are more stable, more secure, which will tempt them to want to leave their homes prematurely. It happens all the time, looking for love. And if, they're, if they are living in a loveless home, they will look for it outside of their home. Everybody wants security. Nobody likes instability. When I was an early teen, because my home was dysfunctional, I sought stability through my ability to perform well at my job. My work gave me the things I craved from my parents. I found acceptance. I found approval. I found respect. I found love. I found significance and appreciation. Things that they would not give me because of their unwillingness to love each other well or to love us well. Security, approval, acceptance, and a sense of accomplishment were mine to have as long as I could perform well on my job. That's why I said I sought stability through my ability to perform well, and I did. My job was a place of refuge. My home was a chaotic context for disunity that I could not control, but I could manage things on my job through my self-sufficient work ethic. I figured out how to control my narrative, how to control my universe. My home was out of control. But once I dialed into my self-reliance, I was able to, to perform in the workplace, and I got those things that I craved, the things that my parents would not give me. Home life was something to endure, while my work life was a pleasurable escape. This course of action is natural for teenagers who live in chaotic homes. Their hearts begin to drip from something they can't control, their family, to something they can control, to something that will not disappoint them, which will always be in their strengths. My strength was my work ethic. And so once I realized that, and once I found a construct to do work, I began to receive the things that my parents would not provide. All of us have a desire to look for security, for love, for acceptance. If our parents do not provide it, we'll look elsewhere which will all, almost always be in the wrong places. Let me give you a few ideas to think about this. Some of the most common escapes that are waiting to capture the hearts of our teenagers. Here are three. Social media seems innocuous enough, doesn't it? Not always. Social constructs provide what appears to be safe, risk-free environments to find acceptance. For example, manipulating likes through your social media efforts seems like an excellent response to the lack of love in the home. I can make somebody love me. This is a part of the selfie craze. You see these particularly women, mostly women, but not always, but on Facebook where they just have endless face shots of themselves, and, and you, if you were to scroll through their timeline, it's just like boom, 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 boom 
of their face shots where, and then, of course, you know, then people, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Oh, you're so beautiful. Social media can be that place where you manipulate, manipulate likes so that you can feel this thing that you are craving in your soul. Another is dating for teenagers. The less introverted teens, the ones that don't hide behind social media, they'll take their desires for love to the street by engaging in real flesh and blood relationships. The safety and allurement of being liked are tempting for the person who has a relational hole in their soul because of the friction in the home. So social media is one. Dating is another. And then abilities, as I was talking about earlier. This is what happened to me. We didn't have social media, and I was so wrapped up in fear of man that dating was not an option. But I had a strength it was in my ability. A teen may feel the need to be good at something, especially when their home life is, is such a downer. If you live in a 24-7 insecure family dynamic, never knowing what is going, going to happen next, finding security through your God-given gifting can be a nice fix, and maybe you want to put that in quotation marks, And it's God-given, so who would think that that is a problem? You can substitute any child's natural proclivities with social media, dating, abilities. Any strength a child possesses can be his greatest weakness when he uses that strength to replace a craving that his parents exacerbated by their lack of love for each other. Let me give you a few more. Musical ability, social competence, the kid with a lot of charisma, physical beauty, affluence, video gaming, even intelligence, academics, are just a few of the other traps our children fall into as they distance themselves from their familial chaos. I do have a case study here of a 12-year-old girl who used her intelligence as an escape from a dysfunctional home life. The title of that article, When Education Becomes Deadly to a Child's Soul, I, I mentioned that earlier. She and her parents never discerned how her unguarded strength became her most significant liability. The title of this podcast is The Best Thing Some Parents Can Do is Stop Parenting. What I'm talking about, what I've been talking about thus far, is how the dysfunctional marriage can exacerbate these deep longings that we have in our souls for love and acceptance. Truly, uh, God is the only one that can satisfy these longings, but too often what happens in, dis- in dysfunctional homes, instead of the parents leading their children to God by the modeling and teaching of Christ in their own lives, they don't. And they make a shambles of their marriage, which is the shambles of their family. And so these children look for love in all the wrong places. Children are broken. They're born broken because of the sin of Adam. A parent's job is to cooperate with the Lord in bringing the child to Christ, the only person who can fix the brokenness. Christ's job, his responsibility, is to fix all of us. 
But if we parents get in the way of our children by our sinful attitudes, by our words, by our actions toward each other, it is doubly hard for our children to get to the restorer of lives. Even once, even worse, are the parents who get in the way while claiming to be Christians. A bad marriage in a Christian home is worse than, a lou- than lousy parenting in a non-Christian home. A child from a non-Christian home may look to Jesus as an answer. A child from a chaotic Christian home may deduce that Christ has no solution because he couldn't fix their parents. I mean, the child from a so-called Christian home looks at the parents as like, these are Christians and they are a mess. Christ has no answer for me. Children will look for something more authentic. If Jesus is not working for the parents, this conclusion is just, it's just logic. And the logic is even compounded in the mind of the child when the parents insist that the child trusts God. This do as I say and not as I do home will stir up nearly insurmountable anger and hostility in the heart of the child. If the parents are not producing an authentic representation of what Christ looks like in their marriage, the chances of the child spewing Christ out of their mouth is high. Because of this issue in some marriages, I tell these parents, some of these parents, I will say, stop parenting. Stop it. Start working on your marriage. If you try to lead a child to Christ when you are not practically following Christ in your marriage, your mission will implode, and your child could very well reject you and your Savior. Few things are more distasteful to children than a hypocrite. When the hypocrites come in twos, it is doubly hard to swallow. Whatever it is you want your child to become, You must be a reliable and authentic witness of that thing or your efforts to parent well will backfire. Now I realize what I'm saying is is common sense. You've got to know this. I know that you know this. But the truth is that some couples have so much embedded hostility, unforgiveness, hurt, and anger toward each other that they overlook this truth while doubling down on getting their children to follow Jesus, and they never fix their marriage. They would instead go against the odds, then lay down their arms and work on their marriage. Their bitterness is too strong and their self-righteousness is too high. If the children of couples like this ever fall in love with Jesus, it will be in spite of the parents rather than because of the parents. I was this way. My parents genuinely hated each other virtually all the time. I got saved in spite of them, not because of them. A biblical marriage creates in the heart of a child a desire to follow the Lord. An unbiblical marriage creates in the heart of the child a desire to follow anything but the Lord. And though the Lord will save anyone regardless of their life circumstance, I mean, that's what he did for me, it is wrong and even evil to stand in the way of others who need Jesus. 
Now, I suspect that some parents could listen to this podcast, the things that I am saying, and then they can think that that they are the cause of their children rejecting the Lord because they had an awful marriage. Some parents jump in this ditch of self-pity and regret because their marriage was terrible. And then in the other ditch, on the other side of the road, there are parents that will listen to a podcast like this, and they will believe that their children will follow Jesus because they have a good marriage. They genuinely have a good marriage. Well, guess what? Both of those perspectives are wrong. Good parents with great marriages do not make Christians, and neither do bad parents with lousy marriages. A Christian is made a Christian because of the gospel, and the gospel comes to us because of unearned favor, because of grace. I don't want you to fall into the trap of, what have I done to my children? But with that said, it is imperative for you to give biblical reflection regarding, what have I done to my children? Especially if your marriage is not a good reflection of Christ and his church. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't fall in the self-regret, self-pity trap. What have I done with my children? They will never trust God. Well, no, you aren't the Messiah, and trusting God comes by grace. But I also don't want you to presume on God's grace. And so I want you to think about what I've done to my children. You want to reflect on your marriage and how your marriage does or does not emulate Christ and his church, as we see in Ephesians 5.25. See, there are two ditches that exist here. And you do not want to fall into either one of them. The self-righteous soul will think their works matter. The arrogant soul will presume on the grace of God, meaning I can be anything that I want to be, and God will save my children. I'll just presume on his grace. It's all of grace. And so the self-righteous person believes their works matter. The arrogant, ignorant person will presume on God's grace. And David said this in Psalm 19, 13, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, meaning taking God for granted. Don't let me take you for granted. He said, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Our works matter but not in an ultimate salvific sense. I don't mean that, but in a practical, emulating sense. No parent should hinder a child from getting to Jesus. A parent's job is to be a humble conduit that shows the child the way to Christ through their attitudes, through their words, and through their their actions. Let me give you a a cross-examination at this point. Here's a few questions I want you to think about. Is your marriage hindering your children from loving Jesus, yes or no? Number two, what are some of the attitudes? What are some of the actions in your marriage that do not put Christ on display in your home? Number three, what about your affection for your spouse? Do your children perceive a genuine warmth between you and your spouse. 
it would be fantastic if both of you, husband and wife, can sit down and think through this podcast and all of the resources that are embedded in this article. Think about your marriage this way. Let me give you an illustration. When you first reconnect with a friend that you have not seen in a long time, the embrace is warm, complete, rich, and deeply felt. And anyone in the coffee shop who is observing your reunion with your friend that you haven't seen in a while, they sense the genuine affection that you have for each other. Parents in a biblical marriage should show a a sense of deep affection for each other. A couple should have genuine love for each other. Now, if that is not present in your one flesh union, that is where you need to begin the process of parenting your children. I mean it. I really do mean this. If, if you do not have genuine warmth and affection for your spouse, that is where you begin parenting. Now, I suspect that in most broken marriages, the spouses are not able to have a mature discussion about the real issues because this will be the feedback. This will be a lot of the feedback that I will receive about this article. Yes, I want to do this, but my spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife, is not. Plus, the hurt is too deep. And if that is you, the most effective place for you to begin the reconciliation process is with the Lord rather than with each other. There's an instructive passage in in Matthew 18:33. The master said to the wicked servant in this passage Jesus Jesus is talking here, quote, "And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you?" He was asking a cost comparison question. The wicked servant was beating up a person who owed him far less than what the wicked servant owed the master. Thus, the master is asking, you owed that guy so little and you owed me so much. You owed me 10,000 talents versus 100 denarii that you owed that other person. The question that you must wrestle with first is, who is the greatest debtor? You or your spouse, your sin against God will put you in an an eternal hell, but he forgave you all that debt. And until that singular truth transforms your thoughts, you'll never be able to forgive your spouse for whatever wrongs that are between you two. Now, perhaps your spouse will not want to reconcile. It does happen. It happens too often. You may never be able to transact forgiveness between the two of you, but that is not the first place for you to begin. If you have unforgiveness, bitterness, anger towards your spouse, the first place for you to go is to your father so you can experience release from the prison that your sin has placed you. Now, I'm not sure if you'll be able to do this transaction horizontally because it does take two, and your spouse must have that kind of humility, but that may not happen. But that does not stop you from being released from your attitude toward your husband, and you can find release as you go to God and ask him. You see this in Joseph's attitude toward his brothers. 
long before he transacted horizontal forgiveness with them, he had already reconciled their sin against him in his heart, and that was between him and the Lord. His soul was free from them before he ever reconciled with them. And so if you can't reconcile with your spouse for whatever reason, you can still be free from whatever is between you all, similar to how Joseph found freedom in the land of Egypt long before he transacted forgiveness horizontally. The title of the podcast, the title of the article, the best thing some parents can do is stop parenting. Let me ask you a few other questions. I've asked you several so far. Here's three more. How is your attitude towards your spouse? Number two, if a needle represented your attitude on a dial, if it represented your attitude on a cold to hot meter, where does your needle typically point when you think about your spouse? Does it point more toward the cold side or the hot side? How is your attitude towards your spouse? Number three, how do you need to change? Will you begin today even if your spouse will not? If we can help you with any of these things, I would encourage you to get in these resources on this page in this article. There's a lot of stuff here. And if you're serious about change, regardless of what your spouse wants to do, you'll find a lot of help right here. Thank you for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.